Welcome to the Wonder Women Tech Show, where we highlight, celebrate, and amplify women and BIPOC voices. We're bringing Wonder Women Tech to the airwaves. I'm your host, Lisa Mae Brunson. It's Lisa Mae Brunson with the Wonder Women Tech Show, and today's guest is someone that I just absolutely adore. She's the only one that I have been able to trust with my story, not once, but twice. She interviewed me for my first fireside chat ever at the Wonder Women Tech Virtual Summit last year. And I was also on her podcast, Hashtag Real Talk. Cherry Rose has over 12 years of expertise in psychology. She has guided thousands through the trenches of mental health. As the CEO of Hashtag Real Talk, the mental health movement for the tech industry, she is shedding a light on tech's darkest secrets. With over 70 champions across North America, Tech CEOs share their mental health stories on her top 14 business podcast. A mental health authority, Cherry Rose has been featured in Forbes, Inc., and many more. Cherry Rose Tan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Um, By the way, I like the way that you do the intros. You very much have like a stage or like a show voice. (laughs) <laughs> I keep, I, you know what? I keep get, being told that more and more. So I'm really excited because maybe, you know, one of these days I'll have my own like talk show. But, um, you know, you're originally from Toronto, Ontario, Canada, and you come from an entrepreneurial family. So in fact, you're a fifth generation entrepreneur. So can you take us back to your childhood and share with us more about your roots and that of your family? Yeah, definitely happy to do that. Um, So, you know, as you mentioned, uh, I come from, yeah, five generations of entrepreneurs. And I feel like when I especially like say that to people, I think that really stands out in terms of the way that I experience entrepreneurship, right? So, Um, You know, when I look back into my childhood and just the conversations that I had at the dinner table, um, one thing that stands out for me now, but I I guess back then, like I didn't notice it because it was just, hey, that's just like how our our family operates is that um, I was exposed to entrepreneurship at a really early age. And I was also exposed to this idea that entrepreneurship like was this path like a viable path an exciting path for you know using your gifts using your passion using you know if you were somebody that was driven and hard working that you could use entrepreneurship to create just like cool things in the world that make money but also make impact and those were the kinds of conversations that I had growing up as, as a child. And, you know, my, 
I'm, I'm thinking how far back this goes. Um, yeah, my, my earliest conversation that I can think about in terms of entrepreneurship is like age 10, which I think is pretty early yeah. to get the entrepreneurial seed. <laughs> well, most, most, most kids at age 10 are like launching, you know, lemonade stands if they are entrepreneurial, right? But I'm sure you surpassed that. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel really grateful for, for that exposure because, you know, when I was age 10 and, and my parents, you know, we would sit at the dinner table and every single day we'd be sitting down and they would ask me things like, you know, Hey, Cherry Rose, like, um, like, like, what did you notice today? You know, like they were really curious about how I experienced the world or, sitting down and asking, Hey, so, um, you know, what's, what's a business idea that you want to try? You know, like, like, talk to me, like, talk to me about what you're thinking and like, who would you like to like sell to who you want to serve? And so, yeah, that was the kind of family I grew up in where like, it was this conversation that was really looking at opportunity, this conversation around, Hey, like really pay attention to what it is that makes you special and like keep going. And, you know, and, and I say this because that age 10 was when it started and I was 16 when I started my first business. You know, I was, wow. I was still in high school when I started and my parents were super encouraging. And maybe for those who don't know, because I think a lot of my reputation is in the tech industry, but prior to tech, I used to be in in the education sector. And when I was 16, I was like a top student. I was acing, you know, English. I was acing all of the, the maths and the sciences. And I was in the gifted program. Um, and, you know, my parents and other students would say, hey, like, uh, you're like, you're really good at like getting <laughs> really good grades. And, you're, you get these straight A's all the time and you're really smart at studying. Have you ever thought about like, like tutoring me or have you ever thought about like maybe tutoring my sibling? And so that, that started my first business, which was, yeah, this, this like tutoring company, um, wow. that I started. So like I was babysitting and you were tutoring and, and gifted. I'm just so blown away by that. <laughs> So you were really close with your brother and you shared mm. the founder journey with, with him for 14 years. Yeah. So what was that journey like and how did it impact you moving forward? Yeah, that that's a really great question. Um, yeah, I've, I've been so fortunate that um, I think my brother and I growing up, and I'm not sure this this can be said for other sort of like brother sister duos, but for me and my brother at least, um, yeah, we were we were really close growing up. And I think the reason why we were really close is that we had this bond that had to do with being siblings, but we also had this deeper bond that had to do with being co-creators. And so, so I started my first company at 16. Um, and I'm the older of the two siblings. Uh, my brother, just thinking. 
Oh, I think I think my brother started his first company at 14. Like I'm actually realizing this. It might be 14 <laughs> or 16. Something like that. And and it's so funny. Like, so we grew up in this environment, right? I was saying about the dinner table. And on top of that, I have this brother who is also ambitious and we were really encouraged to to pursue business opportunities and and business ideas. And his first company at the time was um he was really into songwriting. He would buy all these songwriting books. He was really into um, beatboxing and like hip hop and and being in, on student council and sort of being the popular kid at school. And so one day he had this idea of, oh, you know, we have these talent shows at school and we have these like student bands to perform like at these big assemblies. What if I create like a Explain like a band management, event management company for these up and coming <laughs> artists, and then book them gigs into like these venues. And he would, you know, not 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 just the schools, but just even other venues, right? That wanted oh, wow. like 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 live music, and so that was like his first foray into business. And I really smile at that because, obviously, like this this is decades later. You know, now I'm sitting here, I. I lead a very public, a very um, well-known, I guess, mental health movement that exists in the tech industry. So the, we're the biggest one in North America. And I was able to be able to do this work with Hashtag Real Talk because of all of these other smaller steps that I had yeah. with entrepreneurship, right? So it's not like I just got there. You know, it it took decades of like work and experiences for me to get to this point. And I smile when I think about the initial experience that my brother and I had. And then from that point onward, that was kind of the entrepreneurial bug. And we actually realized like, Hey, you know what? Like we, we can actually do this. Like we can actually go and be entrepreneurs and be successful in this way and, and be able to support each other. And, and that is something that yeah, that I've just really treasured over yeah. the years because, um, you know, especially for for the listeners out there who um, maybe are experienced entrepreneurs or maybe are just newer to the entrepreneurship journey, or maybe you're, you know, working a full-time job and you're also building your business, you're building your side hustle. Um, I'm sure a lot of you can relate to this idea that um, entrepreneurship is, it's, it's an all in sport. And I think as you go deeper into your dream and you go deeper into building your business, there are things that you get confronted by. There are people who come up to you and say that you can't do it mm -hmm. or you're, 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 you're pitching to investor for the first time you get shot down and you get shot down 20 more times until you get the first yes. And so, you know, entrepreneurship has been something that has given me a lot of the best experiences in my life, but it's also given me some of the worst experiences in my life. Like things that have been just very confronting for me or for, um, my mental health or even for my identity that I've had to like be with and then, and then eventually conquer. And so I share all of that because, um, my brother and I, like, I was just very, grateful and I guess lucky in a way that we were exposed to such a young age. And then that became part of our bond. 
as siblings. And that's really, really rare. And I didn't really understand the extent of how rare that was until, you know, and I'm saying this now, right? Like until like probably a decade and a half later that that I really got present to that. Well, I think it's interesting too that you you mentioned entrepreneurialism as a, as this all in sport, and as soon as you said that, I was like, it is. It's such. It is like a sport because really you have to, it's. There's this competitive side. There's this, you know, there's this part where you have to like really um, train for the the hits and you know, um, figure out which way, you know, build the strategies and figure out which way you're going to move and, and, and which way you want to go and what opportunities you're going to take. I mean, it's super, super, and it's not just competitive with other people, but it's competitive within yourself. Like you have to meet yourself along the way every single time, right? Like every mm-hmm. thing that comes your way, you have to decide, are are you, are you able to do this? Are you, are you, do you have, you know, like your gear on? Are you ready for the next stage? You know, um, what was the first, what, what business did you build with your brother? I mean, I guess the first one would, would be our crypto company, which still lasts until this day. Um, and I just feel really grateful about that venture. I mean, we how to describe it. So um one of the traditions that my brother and I carried on through through our life was this idea of every single decade, you know, at the start of the new decade, let's let's go and pick like a world problem. Like 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 a like an industry, like a segment, a problem out there that we think is going to take us ten years of our life to solve, and let let and let's just go for it. Let let's go at it. And at the time, um, for my for my brother I that that decade. So this was the, the previous decade um, that just passed. Um, what we were really interested in is we were interested in solving poverty, and that was really important to us because. Um, I am Chinese ethnically, but I'm, I'm from the Philippines, right? So I'm, I'm born in the Philippines in Manila and coming, especially from the Philippines, we're very family oriented Mm -hmm. and at the same time, like very community centric, right? So like there, there's this feeling of like having each other's backs and making sure that family's okay. But it's also juxtaposed, like there's a contrast with um, also being in a physical environment where so many of the people that you see are growing up in like extreme poverty, you know, like especially in big cities like Manila, where like you could literally walk down the street and you'll you'll see see people on the you'll see like adults, but you also see kids, too, who are just like homeless right? Or you hear of people who can't like afford to go to school. And so we really wanted to solve that problem um, and figure out like, how can we bring financial inclusion to countries where there are certain regions where there's people who are very entrepreneurial, people who are building things by hand and then Mm. selling them to 
you know, mm-hmm. their their neighbors or people out there who are making homemade food, like amazing recipes, and then selling them to the people that they know. How can they be part of the financial economy and actually yeah. get the full rewards of what they're doing? And so that's what, you know, um, bringing capital, my brother bringing and I capital to, to the everyday mm-hmm. um, innovator, right? You know, th- yeah. we don't think about that. It's it's so funny that you're you're bringing this up because I had a a conversation recently with someone along the same lines where we were talking about actually as we're building our Africa summit about how Africa has all of these innovators who are like your everyday mother, sister, brother who are out just like building crafts and they're selling them like doing whatever they can and they don't have access to capital. Like it just doesn't exist for them, right? I love that you and your brother do you know the brother sister duo um the tan duo was wanting to solve real challenges like this yeah um lisa may i mean thank you so much just for sharing that with me um yeah yeah i was i was smiling at that because um the so the birth of that that company the crypto company that that my brother and i had um it really stemmed from experiences actually that that were um how to describe it experiences that were had in Africa and in particular I say Af- like South Africa um mm-hmm. and this is a this is a long time ago now but uh, my brother decided he wanted to travel to South Africa he had read up a lot about it he wanted to understand the culture he wanted to understand um you know, what, what is it like, you know, for, for people there? And so when he got there, um, to South Africa, there's, there's, especially in a lot of these places, um, there's different ways to experience, I think other countries, for example, where there's the very sort of tourist, pretty picture kind of experience. And this happens in Manila too, where there's these rich resorts that are out by the coast, where, you know, a lot of people will fly to and kind of do their thing. But there is the more raw and the more real part of like how basically like 90% or the, the majority mm-hmm. of the population live, which is like if you go into the cities or you go into like the provinces, you can actually now see like this is the way that the, like like that particular community lives. And so that's what happened with my brother. Like he had arrived in South Africa and then decided to actually switch his his travel plans and just like you know what actually like I think that this is not it like this is not authentic and so he he switched last minute and actually hired somebody locally it's like hey could you take me like I I want to see an experience and actually meet the people that are important to you or important to your city so this is at Cape Town at the time and, and if you can, like, can you show me these experiences? And so he ended up, you know, spending a month there um, in South Africa and actually like living in particular in, in the villages, right? So he went especially into the rural populations. And um, and I always remember the saying, I remember him calling me after he came back from this trip because it had changed his life. And he had told me that one of the things that he experienced so profoundly was this deep sort of respect um, around 
seeing all of these people who are usually not in the mainstream media, right? To be really frank, because even the way we convey entrepreneurial stories is very biased. But this realization that there are there is such an entrepreneurial community in like Cape Town, but like I never saw this before in the media. And then on top of that, in a lot of these different communities where, you know, they have these products that they're selling and these different things, or even, even family businesses, right? Generational businesses, that a lot of these communities are unbanked, which means that banks don't actually build in these, in, in these parts, in these parts of the world because they feel, oh, um, like we're not going to build there because we feel that those customers aren't profitable. And yeah. so that's that's our fight with crypto. Our, our, like why we fight for crypto is because it's like we're trying to create access, access, access to, to capital, access yeah, capital to boosting money. the economy, yeah. right? You need uh, boosting the yeah. economy. I mean, th- these are innovative ways that we can do that. And I, I love that. I just, I, I'm sitting here just really... Like my heart is so full hearing this vision because it's social innovation and 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 boosting economies where one does not exist are so important. And you know, as as we're building the the Africa Summit right now, and even the Latinx Summit, like listening to the challenges that these people in these particular countries face, like it really makes me feel like we take things for granted here because it's like everyday life, like what your brother experienced in his month there. It was just seeing what, what is everyday life for the, for the average human that lives there. And it's a humbling experience to be sure, you know, even just me listening to the different stories that I'm hearing, you know, by way of, you know, producing um, these conversations, I don't even have to be there to know that I would be forever changed, you know? Mm. So I, I really admire that your brother took the time to step outside of his world and exist there. But, you know, you've, you've, through your journey, you know, you've, you've faced many challenges. Mm-hmm. So, can you share with us um, a little bit about some of the challenges you faced on your journey, you know, of entrepreneurship? And then, because I know that they're connected, what led you to delve into such important topics as mental health and well-being as the foundation for the work you do? Yeah, th- thank you for asking that. And uh, it, I feel like this is really timely that we're having this conversation because at least in Toronto, I mean, we just we just passed the one year anniversary right now of like COVID and like the lockdowns, yeah. and it's just been so. Yeah, it's just it's just impacted so many people, especially from a mental health perspective. Um, yeah, so I the the story that I that I want to share. I mean, I think I think there's a lot of different like ups <laughs> yeah, and downs. Yeah, you know, I face. you and I could be here forever <laughs> talking about all the things. Yeah, and and at the same time, there is one that stands out for me. So the the one that I want to share, and I feel like this really relates to anybody right now who uh, is in a place, especially during COVID, where they're really struggling. 
And yeah. I think there's, if they're struggling, especially in kind of like a way that's kind of messy and sort of like ugly, and it's like not something that you want to share on social media because it's like, like, it's just, it's just a lot. And so I've had that experience and, uh, my experience, and this is something that, um, especially for people who have, uh, experienced our work at hashtag real talk or like the podcast or events that we've done, you, you would be aware of this. Um, so about three and a half years ago, um, so we're looking at like 2017, right? Like fall of 2017, um, my brother and I, like, we're, we're really deep in our entrepreneurial journey, right? So crypto company, all alive and well. Uh, 2017 is the year, especially where crypto started becoming mainstream. Like that was the mm-hmm. year where, it, you know, it hit t- 10K for the first time. All, all these things happening. There's all dialogue, you know, is, 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 is crypto still going to last or is it just a fad? So there's all this excitement in this industry. Yeah. And we were excited because... Like, like my family in particular, like me and my brother, and then another family that, um, that that we had built the company with. Like, it, it was many, many years before that. Like when we were already working on this company, and we finally felt like we had hit our big break. And the part that was messy, you know, the part that I struggled with was I had my version of like a black swan of like an event that's just like it sweeps you away couldn't prepare for it. And it just changes kind of like turns your world upside down. And this is, this is what it was for me. So in the span of four months, um, like, yeah. So in 2017, I ended up in, uh, basically like a major car accident. And so that was like, you know, I was dealing with the emotional and sort of physical impact of that. Yeah. And then, Four months after that, um, my brother, and, and I know you know this, Lisa May, like uh, my brother, unfortunately, he he passed away and he passed away very suddenly from natural but medical causes, right? So natural causes. And it, it happened to be Christmas. Um, and then 10 days after that, my mom got diagnosed with stage three C cancer. And that was also not something we were expecting. Like it was just very random, very sudden yeah. diagnosis. And that's that's on the personal level and on a professional level. So you can imagine, you know, my brother and I have got this company. It's the year of crypto, super exciting time. And so we had our big break and um, yeah, we had our big break and that you're at the same top of the world month. And then you're yeah, world on top of the world. Yeah, and entirely. And that was the same like time frame as well, where we had signed this big national deal that was basically like a huge breakthrough for our company. And so all of a sudden people were so excited, especially in the Canadian tech ecosystem, like this is amazing. You know, like like this company is pioneering blockchain. They're doing stuff with national banks. They're doing stuff with, you know, like big stock exchanges. It was, it was huge, right? Like for crypto and like for Canada. And then this, there was this backdrop of all this other just kind of really horrible things that happened to my family. And so, yeah, yeah. So I guess I share all of this because I mean, I'm three and a half months 
this is the three and a half months after since the first starting event, right? The, the, the car accident. And, you know, it hasn't been easy, you know, like I'm, I'm like, I, I'm not going to lie. Like it hasn't been easy. Like that experience or set of experiences, um, was like the worst thing that I had ever experienced. And I say this as also a trauma survivor. Like I've gone through a lot of stuff in my life, but like that, that level of stuff at the yeah. same time was just like, it was really like a dark night of the soul. And and it's also a compounding yeah. effect yeah. too, because you can't catch a breath before the next wave of just trauma and mm-hmm. tragedy hits you, which I I have a special place in my heart for for empathy right now because I I'm like coming out the crest of that so I, I I'm like close to tears now just knowing like what you could have been going through during that time so thank you for sharing yeah thank you for receiving and and for asking and did these experiences yeah. then give you because now you're in the thick of it now you understand what the impact of mental health is and you still have mm-hmm. to lead these companies right you still have to lead you still are on top of the world professionally you still have to show up did that kind of spawn um you know spark a focus for you to look at you know these high level CEOs and founders that deal have to deal with emotional resilience and like getting through that dark night of the soul. Yeah, it it taught me a lot. And um, how would I describe this? I think, I think for anyone who's gone through like a mental health experience or experience around trauma, there's, there's like stages that you go through in like your the awareness, but also your relationship to the event. Mm-hmm. So when I started hashtag Real Talk, right? So this this mental health movement um, that's specifically for the tech industry. So we work a lot with founders, we work a lot with um, investors, right? So C suite. Um, that first year, I mean, I was really raw, right? And mm-hmm. I had started the movement because I was angry. I mean, really honestly, like I was angry, I was upset, I felt that. Like, how can this be possible that we're an industry that makes so much money and yet we have some of the highest levels of like mental illness and trauma that I have ever seen in any industry, like, like really, really high rates around depression and anxiety and addiction and all of these things. Like it just, there's something about it that didn't make sense for me. And I think in my journey of that, like part of what I've learned about this, and there's almost like twofold, like, like, um, what I can share at the level of professionally, like, like hashtag real talk, what I see when I'm working with founders and, and, and big organizations is, um, we call ourselves hashtag real talk for a really specific reason. And, um, at one point in the journey of this, movement, we used to be called a totally different name. So we used to be called four founders by founders and probably around like a year and a half, two years in, I actually re like we renamed, we rebranded everything. And the reason for that is 
you know, and, and this is what I want to convey, especially to tech industry and for obviously the tech professionals, founders, et cetera, who are listening. The biggest thing that is stopping us from being able to solve mental health as an industry and as a community is the lack of real talk. Mm-hmm. Like I, I have spent like three and a half years sitting with thousands, literally like thousands of people. Like we've worked with 40,000 founders and entrepreneurs, right? Just, just for people to understand the numbers. So I've, I've sat with like every conversation possible around mental health, trauma, all kinds of loss, crazy stories people are having about being a founder. But the commonality, the, uni- the, the, the part that's universal in a way that's comforting, yeah. um, because if it's universal, that means we can solve it, like as a community, yeah. because there's a pattern, yeah. is that people will come to us or they'll come to our events or they'll experience our masterminds and they'll say things like, hey, Cherry Rose, um, this thing that I'm about to share with you, like I've never shared this before or uh, Cherry Rose, um, like like this thing I just shared with you, I've been holding on to this for 20 years. Yeah. And and the fact that it's like thousands of people who are sharing that, it's like, well, if we were just real with each other and we had people that we could go to in the industry where we could actually share authentically, then we wouldn't have to have all of these backdoor conversations or backroom conversations that feel like, okay, like we're living in shame and we're living in guilt and we're feeling like we're not good enough. And just having that first step of just like talking about it and knowing like, hey, like other people are also talking about mental health and other people are talking about grief and they're talking about trauma. Like that piece in itself can literally save a life or make a difference for somebody. Because I'm not alone. You know, I'm not alone. There's a safe space here where I can share authentically, as you said, I can be real, right? Mm -hmm. And there's no, and, and, and it's taking, it's removing that stigma because there's so much stigma placed on mental health. I mean, like, oh, you have a mental health issue. It's, it's such a, it's dehumanizing, you know, to, to, to feel like the fact that you have, depression or battled depression or have anxiety, which I've, you know, I was diagnosed with panic disorder and anxiety when I was a kid. So I've lived mm-hmm. with, with that all my life in this and, and, and dealing with um, invisible disabilities like fibromyalgia, which then leads to bouts of depression because, you know, when you don't feel understood, you kind of actually, it's a spiral effect, right? I'm sure you've heard that in, in your thousands and thousands of, of conversations is that because you'd feel like you don't have a safe space, because you feel like people don't understand, because there is a stigma, because we're in an industry where it's, it is very machismo. It is very, um, and and especially in the male dominated areas where men and women, um, there is also like more acceptance for women to have. Oh, like that's just a nervous issue for women, you know that kind of a thing. It's very different for men to be able to say, "Yes, I have depression," and not feel like they're weak through it. Right. So I I feel like what you've created with your movement is not only super timely, especially in today's climate, right? 
but it, it it was needed so that we can sort of break through that that stigma and that feeling of less than you know that shame mm-hmm. you know i still feel ashamed like there's times when i'm like you know i had a bout with sui- uh, suicidal ideation one time but that one time made me feel like i was the weakest person on the planet but what i did was instead double down on sharing you know and mm. and, and i shared with you like you were the yeah. you were the first person to create a safe space for me cherry rose mm. i'd like to take a moment to um listen to today's pioneering women segment and we'll be back with cherry rose Today's pioneering woman is Kara Swisher. Swisher is an American technology business journalist and co-founder of Recode. She became a contributing writer to the New York Times opinion section in 2018. Swisher joined the Wall Street Journal in 1997, working from its bureau in San Francisco. She created and wrote Boomtown, a column devoted to the company's personalities and culture of Silicon Valley, which appeared on the front page of the Wall Street Journal's Marketplace section and online. During that period, she was cited as the most influential reporter covering the internet by Industry Standard Magazine. Thank you for your pioneering contributions, Kara Swisher. Innovators, we are back with Cherry Rose Tan talking about the power of creating safe spaces for mental health, as well as the entrepreneurial journey and the fact that it is a sport, but you can get through it. Um, You can win. So Cherry Rose, you know, um, we've often talked about vulnerability as a superpower. It's mine. You and I have talked about this last year. Right now, more than ever, we are dealing, you know, this pandemic has created an entirely um, challenging experience for all of us to have this collective trauma, this collective grief. Um, We're all dealing with mental health disorders. And we're also dealing with systemic racism, right, Um, for our Mm -hmm. Black and Brown Asian communities. Can you share a little bit with us about how this climate has impacted you, Um, you know, being a woman of color, how has this impacted you? And has any of what you've been going through and experiencing made its way into the work that you're doing? Yeah, I mean, Lisa May, I I so loved that you asked this. So yeah, since May, there's been a lot of yeah, I guess a lot of questions or things that I started getting confronted by um, with regards to just, yeah, just, I guess, understanding and being with my relationship to what it's like to be like a woman of color in the tech industry where, I mean, really frankly, like, and I mean, this is interesting because it's like decades later for me in terms of entrepreneurship, but I still walk into rooms and I'm often the only person that looks like me, or I'm often the only person that has the background that I do, right? So like I'm a first generation immigrant, 
I've had extensive experiences around trauma and also poverty as well, because that, that was, especially for the first half of my life, like that's, you know, that was, that was how I lived. And then watching my parents build their company from the ground up and moving here to Canada, not knowing anybody and just mm-hmm. having to go for it and having to do like the hustle, you know, at the time to make it. And I, and that's why I pay so much respect to, I, you know, like when I think about family and whatnot, because when I think about what my parents had to go through to be able to make it like their foundation is what allowed me and Kian to build on that and to build the crypto company and all these other companies, you know, since like, for example, hashtag real talk because of that foundation they, they gave me. And so I think the latest conversations, and I'm happy to share this because I'm, <laughs> you know, I, I, I wish to live by example. And I mean, the conversations that are happening in my team right now is we've been having a lot of conversations about justice and it's not been easy. You know, um, I shared actually very recently with a colleague of mine, um, in the industry that in the past, uh, four months, um, I've personally experienced like racial incidences, like physical, mm-hmm. physical incidents. And I'm in Toronto, like Toronto, Canada. Right. So like yeah. when we think about us, you know, like, like the Canadian stereotype, like, yeah, like we're really nice people and like a really diverse country and all this stuff. But because of what's happening with COVID right now, where people's mental health is already not great. And then on top of this, we're also having this global conversation and now looking at systems of power and actually for the first time recognizing like as a collective, I mean, people of color, this is not, this is not new to any of us, but like as a collective now having the conversation of like, this is how, um, this is how this system has impacted me, or this is how this system has impacted me and also my family, right? So intergenerational trauma, which is something that hashtag real talk right now, like we're having those conversations as a community. And so, yeah, stuff, stuff definitely came up for me, you know, in going to the next level of our leadership where, um, it's been busier than usual right now because I've spent the last year and a half writing a book and it's actually due to the publisher, like, um, end of this month. And so it's been, it's been like, it's been intense, um, intense, just emotionally, it's been intense understanding my own voice and what I take a stand for. And a lot of the book that I'm writing about, like, uh, like two of the pillars that I write about in the book is we write, we talk, I talk about healing, which is the mental health aspect, trauma informed work, et cetera. But the bigger part, and this is the part where my heart is especially, and and the, the work that my team is doing is we talk about justice that mm-hmm. I, I genuinely believe, um, especially coming from my personal experience, that we can't have healing at a collective level without justice. Because a lot of the systems that have been inherited Mm. around finance, around how people access opportunities, and this is interesting because this is the work that inspired the fight, uh, the stand that my brother and I had for crypto, right? Like, Like this all comes together. It's like, these systems, like the systemic barriers are very real and the impact of mental health, it's not equal, right? So 
people of color or even women of color, if you're in two intersections, like I recognize and acknowledge that it's disproportionate, like what you're experiencing. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. you know, if we're saying that we care about mental health and for example, in the tech industry, right, because we have all these champions and people who say, hey, yeah, I care about mental health. What can I do to help? What I'm trying to educate people is this next level is going to require this component of justice. That if you want to have safe spaces and spaces that are triggering people and spaces that aren't actively harming people, like, like we have to actually incorporate that work in mental health. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So, so well, that's, that's where my team's at. Yeah. Like when I'm listening to you talking about justice, because, you know, justice is... I, just listening to that word kind of I bristling in a way. And and I share that because, you know, when we think of justice, it ha- is, is taken on so many different connotations, including negative connotations, because for some people, it's like, oh, justice is an eye for an eye. It's like, let's get even. It's like, and this is just my interpretation, by the way, um, you know, but it, but it, but it, but it does. It, it, for me, like when I think about that, I'm like, is justice enough? And what is justice? And what inside of justice takes care of it for the all of us, for the whole of us, right? Like, are is only one group feeling just it? Like, you know what I mean? Like, it, I, and I don't want to go completely down the rabbit hole because we we only have a couple of questions left in our conversation. But I, 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 what you've done is plant a seed for, in me, and and I'm hoping that we can take this conversation, you know, online later, you know, when this episode airs, and talk about justice and and what does that, mm. what does that mean to you? You know, what does that mean to to each of us, because I feel like it's so important to understand, like, what will help each of us and then the whole of us to feel like justice is served, that mm. it was enough, that we that 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 we can move forward. Um, you've just given me something really, really uh, dynamic to think about, Cherry Rose. So the world needs more love and compassion now more than ever. What Mm -hmm. are some of the ways do you feel that we can cultivate that? Hmm. Yeah, I I love that you asked that. Um, Hmm. Okay, so there's an answer that came to mind, and it was not the answer that I expected I would share, but I feel like this is the most authentic one. Yeah, um, don't censor yourself. Not not on <laughs> not on my watch, Cherry Rose. You've never done it before. Let's not do it now. <laughs> yeah, so so this answer will seem counterintuitive, but this this really is my answer, and I say this because, um, yeah, compassion is really something that I live by day to day, and I think it's. It's really important, especially when you're holding space around mental health, that there's this aspect of being able to witness and acknowledge other people's pain, but also not being, uh, how to explain it, Mm. also knowing when not to take that on. Like, okay, Mm. like, yes, we're witnessing the pain, but we're not going back into stories around re-triggering. We're not going back into space where, okay, we're triggered and now we're like lashing out. Like there's all these dynamics that happen in a space that you have to navigate. And so at least for me, like I found the best way to access compassion is like 
like invitation for people to actually do the deep work on themselves. Mm. Because I really feel that a lot of the meanness in the world and a lot of the anger in the world is often a reflection of that person's relationship to themselves. Yeah, And that person's if there's trauma that's there or there were incidences that happened, what, whatever it is that was that happened in their, in their history or in their past, that's really not resolved for them. And then it's lashing out into all of these other places. And I say this personally for me, because I mean, I've been through quite a journey. I mean, it's probably not obvious now because I've done a lot of work on myself, but like, as a trauma survivor, and this is a really common reaction, I, I spent a lot of years where I was very angry and I yeah. was also very judgmental. And when I say judgmental, I was this kind of person that could only hang out with a certain type of person that had these certain set of standards and just everybody else is like, I'm, I just don't care. I just, I just don't have the space to make time for this. You know, like I, I was at this at this point in my life where there were things I was just really disappointed or resentful or upset about. And in confronting that around why do I carry this, this anger? Why do I carry this resentment and this jealousy and all these, these emotions that were really wrapped up and appearing in all kinds of spaces in my life, it really transformed me and it transformed my work. And because I'm, I'm, at peace with those parts of my life, I can hold the space the way I do at hashtag real talk, where when we're talking about justice, for example, mm. and things like that, there are times where there's really uncomfortable conversations where people will come up to me and be like, Hey, like I actually don't believe in diversity, equity, inclusion, but I really respect you. And I wanted to be honest with you about that. Could you actually educate or have a conversation with me? because I actually want to understand. And for a lot of people, sometimes when I share that with people, some people get really angry. Yeah. But because I, yeah, you know, I've worked through it. It's like, okay, I think I can be more compassionate and I can hear the ask differently. And so different options become available with what you can co-create with people. So. Yeah, I really appreciate that you that you shared that cherry rose and I think that's a, a perfect answer. You know, introspection is powerful. Um I'm actually going through something like that right now where I have to check myself. You know, um this is a little bit different, you know, this is in terms of dating, but like, you know, it's, uh, it's it kind of applies because it's about accepting people. So like I'm like I also was like nope to this, nope to that. I'm like hard like hard nose that really didn't even matter or actually make sense, but it was just because of my own triggers or my own like, oh, it's because of this happened with so-and-so this many years ago, I'm not going to do this or that or the other. But it's, it, it is something to be said for, you know, we are triggered. We respond, we respond to trauma. We responded to collective trauma. We respond um, to environmental um, stressors and trauma from where we're sitting at. So I appreciate that you shared that, Jerry Rose. You know, you shared some very vulnerable um, conversations with us, you know, about your family, about your brother. So if you had to do it all over again, would you take the easy road or the road less traveled by and why? Hmm. I, I actually don't feel I would do things differently. 
And, and this is more from a personal philosophy of like the way that I live because, um, spirituality is very important to me. Like, like doing work on my heart is really important to me. And in this whole, this whole journey I've been going on with my book now for a year and a half. Um, one of the things that I was sharing with my team just a few months ago is that I really feel like, yeah, I, I feel very complete about actually what happened with my brother. And that's Aww. not, and you know, and it, it's not necessarily easy. I'll explain it. The journey for me to get to this point where I could say this statement was not easy. But no. I, I really feel it in my heart that the bond that we shared and what we had built, which still lasts until this day and is impacting entire continents around the world, it happened the way it was meant to happen. And we did the best that we could with what we knew at the time. And I think that when I operate with hashtag real talk and I write this book and, and all of this stuff, it comes from this place of devotion and like legacy and really appreciation that my brother just like, I still think about, I mean, it's interesting. Like I, I know he's technically like not here physically, but for me in my heart, it doesn't change. It's like, I still feel the connection every day. And, and, and the work that I do is pure because of the connection that I shared with him. So, yeah. So I guess, yeah, that, that, that's like, what came I'm to me. I'm like, literally crying. I'm, that's just so beautiful. And I, I love that you use the word devotion and legacy because you get to carry that on in the work that you started in the work that you continue to do, Cherry Rose. And I'm so grateful that our paths have crossed and that we've been able to hold space for each other. I'm over here blubbering now. <laughs> um, that we've been able to hold space for each other and just be an inspiration for one another. That's that's what sisterhood is about. Mm. Thank you for showing up, Cherry Rose. You're welcome. And thank thank you for inviting me today. I'm uh yeah, I'm really touched by our conversation as well. Thank you so much for being here, innovators. We'll see you next week when we take on the world one more time. <laughs>